This week in KMA Land, Page County Supervisors continue jail project talk. Hamburg's mayor suddenly resigns. Jones joins Shenandoah Council. Correctional officers stage emergency drill in Clarinda. Sydney breaks ground on Gazebo Project. And salaries are set for Page County deputies. I'm Mike Peterson. Page County officials continue to explore options for a new county jail. At its regular meeting Tuesday morning, the county's Board of Supervisors heard a presentation including several proposals from representatives of Samuels Group on the ongoing jail study. The recommendations follow an assessment of the current jail, primarily concerned with the inability to properly house and care for inmates in building conditions. Greg Wilde is a business and development manager with Samuels Group. Wilde says the new facility would require roughly 12,000 gross square footage to house inmates and other necessary elements, including office space. The jail housing is intended to get to a capacity of 35 inmates, so we're not doubling the uh, capacity of the proposed jail if you were to do so, um, but we would do some double bunking. We would have multiple pods. We would also have some dedicated spaces for exercise and activity programs. Based on estimates developed late last month, Wild says the jail and new sheriff's department would be roughly $12.5 million, including soft costs such as architectural fees and a 10% contingency. But he adds that the price could vary depending on the addition of other departments. If you were to add the cost of all those county proposed areas, 911, and emergency management into that. It adds just over uh, $2 million, so it would get you to um, 15.2. And then if you were to add the Clarinda Police Department, it's just under $2 million. So somewhere between 12 and a half to $17.5 million. If the county pursued a $15.2 million general obligation bond based on the average residential household value in the county, Wild says it adds roughly $58.82 per year in property tax, or $584 a month. However, Supervisor Jacob Holmes says an option he favors is just constructing a jail, which costs around $9.4 million. If we did that option, current sheriff's department building and the old jail is still there and the old jail would make a whale of an evidence storage place a huge place to put evidence and the, and the offices would be more room in the kitchen and everything i kind of like that option of just looking at and building on a site that you can add on if you want something while saying he isn't opposed to a two-site operation samuels group owner sid samuels says staffing of both sites might outweigh the potential savings up front really over a 20-year bond period your staff costs are going to be far more expensive than the cost of the actual capital investment. I would continue to vet this out in regards to staff needs so that you don't do something that costs you additional staff and ultimately cost taxpayers more dollars in the long haul. With a consolidation, Samuel says it would ease the sheriff's department, which often doubles as jail staff and allow for the deputizing of dispatchers. Samuels also recommends building on a roughly five to eight acre property to allow all departments, if needed, and any future expansion. The board took no formal action Tuesday, but action is expected at this coming week's regular meeting to enter into the schematic design phase, including determining which departments will be included and looking at potential properties to put in the facility.
After guiding Hamburg through two major disasters, the city's mayor suddenly stepped down this week. At its regular meeting Monday evening, the Hamburg City Council fielded a barrage of questions regarding the resignation of Kathy Crane. City Clerk Treasurer Cheryl Owen confirmed in the meeting that Crane submitted her resignation earlier in the day. Currently, Council Members Earl Speck Hendrickson and Kent Benefield serve as Mayor Pro Tems. Benefield, who conducted Monday's meeting, says information from the Iowa League of Cities specifies two options under the Iowa Code for the city to fill the vacancy. They can fill it by appointment or by special election. There is no requirement to make a decision formally, but a council could use a motion to make a choice. The vast majority of cities use an appointment process as it is faster and cheaper. Keep in mind the citizens can petition for a special election within 14 days of an appointment. Also, the city must first publish notice of its intent to fill the vacant vacancy by appointment. Owen says the petition for a special election must have signatures matching 15% of the voter turnout for the city's last mayor election, or roughly 45 signatures. The person appointed or elected would fill the remainder of Crane's term, which expires in December 2023. Serving 15 years as mayor in two different stints, Crane was re-elected to her fourth term in November 2019. Crane guided the city through two 100-year floods in 2011 and 2019. Crane's resignation comes only weeks after she discussed the city's continuing recovery from the 2019 disaster on KMA's Morning Line program. In that interview, Crane discussed the delay in completion of the Ditch 6 levy expansion, as well as the progress of other flood recovery-related projects. We've been trying to complete these two new water wells since last fall, and now it looks like we will have those completed May 15th. We've been trying to get our 63 buyouts done, the FEMA buyouts. 45 have been purchased. We believe the entire project will be completed by June. We've been doing work on a grant from the Colonial Theater restoration, which our tuck pointing is done. We're waiting on new doors and windows, and we suspect that will be finished by May. In other business, Monday night, the council approved the city's budget for the 2023 fiscal year, which begins July 1st. Shenandoah City Council selected a new council member this week. By a 4 to nothing vote Tuesday evening, the Shenandoah City Council appointed Richard Jones to fill the vacancy left by Cindy Armand's resignation last month. Prior to his appointment, Councilman John Eric Brantner asked Jones to explain how he would handle some big issues recently addressed by the council. There's been three, for lack of a better word, controversial items on our agenda over the past 30 to 60 days, one being the fireworks ordinance, one being the noise ordinance, and one being the sale of the property for the laundromat bill. I'd like you to choose one of those three with what you know, granted you weren't maybe not seen everything that we saw, but with what you are aware of those three things, pick one of those, say whether you would have been in favor or against it, and then explain your decision behind that vote. Jones, who is the only applicant present at the council meeting, discussed his stance on proposed changes in the city's fireworks ordinances. Jones says he felt reducing the time frame for shooting off fireworks to July 4th was too restrictive. Council members, of course, eventually opted to leave the ordinance as is. I felt like family members need some time to get together, and sometimes if it's just one day, then, you know, through work or something else going on in life, which it always does, they may not be able to get there. So 
to me, it's, it's vitally important that we understand what that day is, what it represents, and to be able to celebrate it. Jones, however, says he's open to compromise on the issue and adds residents bear a responsibility in obeying the regulations. A St. Louis native, Jones retired in 2015 after 36 years in the auto manufacturing industry. Jones and wife Jennifer, a Shenandoah native, moved to town more than two years ago. Jones tells KMA News he applied for the council opening because he wants to be involved in the community. When this opportunity came up, I thought, well, you know, you can either, you know, be involved and try and help or sit in the back and not. And so I went ahead and sent in a letter of interest because I believe in Shenandoah. As a council member, Jones says he hopes he's a good steward of the community. I've lived in a lot of different cities, big cities. Like I said, I've lived in Denver. I've lived in small. T- I grew up kind of in Dodge City, Kansas. So I've seen a lot of different cities. And, you know, they all have unique issues and unique opportunities. And I'm just looking for the opportunities. I'm, I'm more proactive than I am reactive. And I'm, I'm always looking forward and want to try and do the best for the city. So that's kind of what I'm all about. Jones will serve the remainder of Armand's term, which expires in December 2023. Council members selected Jones over four other applicants, Jim Davey, Diane Gibson, Jeff Heiser, and Kathy Silvestri. Residents may petition for a special election to fill the council seat within 14 days of the appointment. 200 signatures are needed on the petition in order to force the election. Clorinda was the site of important training exercises for correctional officers and staff from across the country this week. The Iowa Department of Corrections hosts its annual three-day emergency preparedness exercise at the Clorinda Correctional Facility. Correctional emergency response teams, canine and correctional negotiation teams from all nine state facilities participated in the scenarios in hostage-taking, disturbance control, and escape. Brian Foster is the Security Operations Director with the Department of Corrections. Foster tells KMA News a planning team comprised of representatives from across the state developed the majority of the exercise. They build their scenarios. They build their training. They build all of the aspects of this week. And then as we implement this, they are also in charge of conducting the training themselves. So it's a big part of what we do is utilizing that multi Um, faceted team from across the state. Held each year since 2017, Foster says the exercises help officers build upon experiences and the goals set in the previous year. And when we identify that those goals maybe didn't get met or didn't get met fully, uh, we look at why they didn't and then work to conduct that training um, with the institutions throughout the year and then to prepare for that next training round. Foster says individuals of all experiences participate in the exercises, which allows for the building of camaraderie amongst the several institutions and an opportunity to pass along extra knowledge. There's no way they don't learn from this. There is just no way. We were talking to uh, one of the most experienced canine handlers that we have. He works very hard to spread his knowledge to the new staff as they come in, even some of the older staff that have been around just Again, sharing their knowledge, sharing what they've seen and what they've experienced to to really help better prepare as we go. On top of the scenarios, the exercise also includes various classroom training on current correctional topics connected with emergency response. Some vacant property in downtown Sydney is the future home of a gazebo and electric charging station. Sydney city officials and representatives from the Iowa West Foundation and Mid-American Energy held a special groundbreaking ceremony Monday for a new gazebo park in the northwest corner of the downtown square. Sydney Mayor Ken Brown says the city designated the area 
which previously housed a gas station, as a park due to the required testing on the gas tanks underground, not allowing for a new building. Brown says the park will include a 30-foot gazebo and benches and picnic tables, supporters of which hope will draw more people downtown. Shop in our downtown to give the businesses an opportunity for people to come into them as well. It gives us a location because the only picnic table we have on the square right now is right up there next to the courthouse. One little picnic table. You know, so we're looking at a, at a space to where we can actually uh, um, have people come in and sit and enjoy and, and relax. Brown says the landscaping of the new park will match the rest of the downtown area. On the north side of the park, Brown says Mid-American Energy is putting in the charging station coming at no cost to the city. He says the hope is to be on the cutting edge as the demand for electric vehicles grows. After weeks of discussions, a starting wage for county deputies is set in Page County. During its regular meeting Tuesday, the Page County Board of Supervisors approved a starting wage of $25.30 an hour for deputies in the county sheriff's office. The decision followed discussion between the board and Page County Sheriff Lyle Palmer. Previous talks had centered around $27 an hour based on a 2,080-hour work year. But Supervisor Alan Armstrong says the county is moving to 2,088 hours in the upcoming fiscal year, knocking down the hourly wage. Despite less call volume than area police departments due to their concentration, Palmer says one of his primary reasons for wanting a higher pay is that deputies often respond to calls on their own. When you're out there in the middle of the night or the middle of the day dealing with a call and your backup's 20 minutes away, you got to have that integrity. And this is a different world than it used to be. You've got to be able to handle things and know which one's up. And yes, there are police officers that can do that. I would say most of the police officers in Shenandoah and Clarendon can do that. However, they don't have to do it. They have their back. They're right there. The 25-30 hourly wage for both Iowa Law Enforcement Academy certified and non-certified deputies would be $52,826. Armstrong says it would be roughly $3,500 below the lowest paid deputy currently on staff. As of April 31st, Palmer says his department has sent out three applications to interested individuals, but none have returned. If the wage can't be increased, Palmer also suggested looking at how the benefits package could be improved to compete with the offerings of other law enforcement in the county. They get discounted rates for city-owned services according to their front office. That doesn't include their water or sewer or anything like that. I want to point that out specifically. The lead center, they get a discounted rate for that. Um, there's probably other things that they have. Shenandoah, free services to their employees for the pool, workout center, and golf course. They get a free membership at the golf course, which for a family is about $2,400. Due to individuals requiring a sponsor to go through the academy, Palmer says the county would need to pay for any uncertified deputies. Supervisor Jacob Holmes suggested an additional offer up front for applicants who have already completed the certification. Armstrong says that could be a possibility. You're saying I'm like maybe not... offer a $2,000 more, start them higher if if they're certified. And it saves us money overall, yeah. all, all yeah. county money because overall. Certification, certification costs at the extreme is approximately $20,000 estimate. However, Supervisor Chuck Morris says the incentive could also be the countywide 3% raise coming up in the next fiscal year starting on July 1st. If the candidate comes in certified, a higher in the fourth quarter than that candidate can happen, would give, yeah. would give the three percent or, or the yeah three percent raise but if it's a non-certified we've got to pay the cost of the ILEA 
that that individual would be be frozen at 2530 until July 1 of 2023. The board intends to leave the wage at 2530 for now, but will consult with County Attorney Carl Songson and legal counsel to ensure certified applicants could receive the July 1st raise, as well as freezing uncertified at the proposed wage. Florida City employees are getting a pay bump starting July 1st. Meeting in regular session Wednesday evening, the Clarinda City Council approved a handful of changes to the employee handbook. City Manager Gary McLarnon says the changes come from recommendations made by the Employee Benefit Committee. We did budget um, for a dollar an hour increase in full-time employees and 50 cents an hour in part-time and 3.75% uh, for salary. That does amount to an average of 4.3% increase. The changes also include the addition of Veterans Day as a city holiday and maintaining the employee health insurance contribution at 12%. Like other industries, McLarnon says the city is struggling to stay fully staffed. Obviously, right now it's very difficult to hire good qualified uh, people. Um, right now we've got obviously a police officer opening. We have a full-time public works um, opening of which we've had zero applicants on. We are short of lifeguards right now. In fact, the pool's gonna be closed every Sunday in May because we don't have enough lifeguards. Uh, we're having trouble finding people to mow um, at the cemetery um, and at the airport both. So. So we're, we're struggling also with, with getting uh, employees hired. Mayor Craig Hill says the increases in pay are fair, but says the benefits package the city offers should be the selling point for attracting new hires. A lot of the younger people, they look at the, the dollar amount right now, and that's what the only thing yeah, they see here. But they need to, the, we need to convince them that uh, long term is what they need to also be aware of. And, and the IPERS and the insurance and so forth there, what we, what we give them is, is money in their pocket in the long run. In other business, the council approved the second reading of an ordinance amendment lowering the speed limit on South 16th Street from 35 to 25 miles per hour. The amendment needs to pass one more reading before being adopted. Shenandoah school officials are pleased with the first year of a personalized learning program. In fact, the success is leading to a restructuring of the program's leadership. At its regular meeting late Monday afternoon, the Shenandoah School Board, by a 4-1 to vote, approved a modification of Denise Green's contract from the Ignite 612 Remote Learning Coordinator to K-12 Remote Learning Coordinator. Shenandoah School Superintendent Dr. Carrie Nelson told KMA News Green will now oversee the entire program. We are continuing to expand this work. We've um, restructured a little bit of our coordination role. Denise is currently serving as the 512, and it worked really nicely to have her do the entirety of the program. School officials launched Ignite this school year as a mixture of online, blended, project-based, and work-based learning. We've had about 78 students participate, whether they're online exclusively or they're hybrid students attending part online and part on campus and working with our alternative ed program as well. It's growing rapidly, and we want to continue to see that occur for our students, one, because we believe it's really powerful learning, and two, because it's, it's good for our school system and it helps us gain enrollment. As part of Ignite, some Shenandoah High School building trade students are renovating a house at 213 West Sheridan Avenue. Nelson says the district is looking at other Ignite learning opportunities. We have expanded some of our elective offerings um, that are available online for our students, including more of the fine arts. So it includes Spanish and actual art classes. And so we're really pleased that we're able to add those two components online we're also looking at ways we can continue to 
expand our internships and apprenticeships and need some focus there to connect to other areas of CTE beyond construction. Green's contract totals 260 days with a salary of $80,000. Board member Jeff Heiser cast the loan dissenting vote. Clorinda school officials set aside time at their latest meeting to recognize staff members retiring at the end of the current school year. During its regular meeting Wednesday evening, the Clorinda School Board recognized four individuals retiring this May, including Julie Cabine, Tracy DeBolt, Craig Hill, and Jean Miner, three of which have served the district for nearly two decades. Board President Darren Sunderman addressed the four individuals and thanked them for their time with the district. I guess we just thank all of you for all your dedication, your hard work, and The three individuals present were also allowed to give some brief remarks. Hill, who has served as maintenance director for the district for 20 years, says the job was a roller coaster. Now mayor of Clarenda, Hill recalled one of the more interesting encounters he had on the job that involved an unusual perpetrator at a break-in at Garfield Elementary Building. A fair warning to his successor, Justin Ridner. A deer had jumped through the window at the old Garfield Elementary. And not only did it jump in the window, run around the classroom, mess things up, and jump out, it decided to go down a couple of classrooms and jump in another window and tear up that room, turn around and jump out. So the custodians, I called them up, we got together, boarded up the windows, straightened up the rooms, cleaned up the mess, and uh, yeah, that was uh, quite the, the evening for us there. So uh, you got a lot to look forward to. After starting her career teaching band for 15 years at Sioux City North High School, followed by time at Newmarket, Cabine found herself in the media specialist role for the district after receiving her master's in educational media. Cabine says she has enjoyed seeing all of the kids grow up and have a variety of interactions. I've had eighth graders that would come in and say, help don't tell my teacher, my book report's due tomorrow, I've done nothing, and I need 10 AR points. What do you got? We got something for you. Here you go. And that, and then other little kids come in to say, I just love coming to the library. It's just so happy in here. And I thought that's what we wanted to do, is create an environment where kids fostered the love and, and felt Cabine has been with the Clarenda District for 22 years. DeBold, who currently serves as co-director of food service and has been with the district for 21 years, says she's thankful for the opportunity to work her way up through the industry in Clarenda. I started out doing Lutheran for four years, for four hours a day, and then I worked my way up, and now to food service director. And you know, it was it it was a an experience all through it. DeBolt says the retirement is bittersweet and that she will get to spend a lot more time with her expected grandchild over the summer. Jean Miner was not present in the meeting but has been with the district for 11 years as a paraprofessional. More from the Clarenda School Board meeting, of course, is found with the web story as well as other stories on KMALand.com. At last, Sydney's new water infrastructure project is producing its own water. During its regular meeting Monday night, the Sydney City Council received an update from City Engineer Steve Perry on the long-awaited water infrastructure improvement project. Perry says the new water treatment plant was put online last week and is producing its own water. After a tedious water quality testing process, Perry says just one step remains for the new water plant. The only item left on the water plant itself is to get the water tower full so that uh, from a communication standpoint, uh, 
we can get the water tower talking to the water treatment plant. So everything is, is really in good shape. Earlier Monday afternoon, Perry says his department began pumping water into the new 150,000-gallon water tower, anticipating reaching the necessary capacity by Tuesday morning to go through another series of tests for sanitation quality. It has to be continuous to take it to the overflow, and then uh, once it gets to the overflow, we're going to go back to the old tank because we have to let that set for 24 hours to take a water sample, and then 24 hours later we take another water sample, so two, two tests. Perry says the new water tower could be online as early as this Monday. However, he adds the city can still operate off the old tower while the tests are being performed. But with the testing, Perry says a contract extension is needed for Girard Tank and Steel, which has performed work on the tower. The council unanimously approved the extension to May 30th. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com, where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of KMA News.